Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'm James Price and I'm your host for today. I connect businesses with talented cyber professionals in the cybersecurity market. We bring together the best technical leaders to discuss industry passions, challenges and ideas. I'm joined today by a fantastic panel to talk about penetration testing, the art and science of hacking your own applications. Before we get into the discussion, let's make some introductions. So Ron, would you like to introduce yourself first, please? Yeah, thanks, James. Um, my name is Ron Kerjak, the Managing Director uh, for NetSpy. I've been in the industry 20 plus years, uh, been a CISO for a number of Fortune 500 companies. Uh, very much looking for this uh, engaging conversation. Likewise. Thank you, Ron. And we'll move on to Derek next. Hi, I'm Derek Fisher. I head a uh, product security function at a financial technology company. Um, been in the uh, security industry for about 10 years, but uh, been in hardware, software uh, engineering for uh going on almost 30 years at this point. Uh, teach at Temple University. I'm an author, uh, speaker, and so forth. So likewise, looking forward to uh, to this conversation. Brilliant. Cheers, Derek. And finally, Abhishek. Hey, I'm Abhishek Ramchandran. Uh, I work for Siemens as a penetration tester and currently lead the team of hackers at Siemens. Most of my work evolves around uh, penetration testing around applications and services. And uh, glad to be here. Brilliant. Thanks, Abhishek. Now that we've done with introductions, let's move on to the topic. So you all have a question on penetration testing, the art and science of hacking your own applications. I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it, and each of you have the opportunity to give your take on it. So let's start with Ron and your question, please. Yeah, thanks, James. Um, so, gentlemen, how prevalent is the adoption of a security-centric SDLC within organizations? Um, you know, I've, I've seen this, I've been doing this for 20-plus years. Uh, I used to be a programmer, so I know what uh, the challenges were. I do remember the days of business analysts and business leaders yelling behind my ear to get something up and running quicker than our competitors. Uh, change control was not existent back then, um, not as much as it, it should have been, I should say. Um, so how, how prevalent is that adoption? And so what frameworks are you seeing organizations use? So that's my sweet spot because right? I uh, my my role is to you know develop uh, product security functions and so um, so you know it, as far as the prevalence of it you know I, I've seen organizations that have a handful of people that are covering a large you know engineering department um, and then I've seen uh, teams where you know it's a large security team uh, software security team covering a, a very small uh, function and uh, everything in between so. Um, it really comes down to um, how much uh, importance the organization is actually putting on uh, the, the security of their applications. And, and one of the things that uh, I actually just said this today is that security is a differentiator for a lot of products. So uh, I'm an Android person. I'm not an Apple fanboy, but I totally get it. You know, and there's there's a reason why people uh, are drawn to Apple is because of the fact that there's security and privacy and they sell that. And so I think it's a missed opportunity when organizations don't take advantage of the opportunity to showcase their security. Um, but, it, you know, it also depends, I think, in the type of industry that you're in. Highly regulated industries are going are gonna to require you to have a, you know, a security-centric SDLC. Um, and you're going to have to prove um, that you have a secure SDLC in place. I, I get questions on a daily basis from our, our customers and our partners you know, about what we're doing from a, a software development security uh, perspective, then um, we have to not just talk it, but we have to show it. Um, and so, you know, there's, I, I think there's a, a 
there's more willingness today than there was five, 10 years ago to build, you know, an application security or, or software security uh, program. Um, but there's still, you know, there's still some ways to go as far as, um, you know, models or frameworks. Um, you know, there, I always say that, uh, you know, there's the common maturity models that are out there are like BSIM, SAM. Um, but I, I always say that I use the Derek model. Um, and that's because it's, you know, when you get into an organization, SAM may not fit. BSIM, you know, may not be uh, meeting the needs uh, that you're looking for. So um, it's about, you know, orienting, finding out what it is that you're trying to actually solve and how you're going to solve it and, and building in that maturity uh, based on on the observations. So, um, but there is a lot of good frameworks and, and models out there to, to follow. Um, it just really depends on the organization. So I, I kind of agree with what Derek uh, just said, but uh, when it comes to the frameworks, Honestly, uh, seeing seeing the development of software in the past, we've been following like a traditional waterfall-based model, where it's step-by-step approach towards developing software. But the more uh, companies are picking on agile approaches when it comes to development of software, our frameworks are unable to support some of these kind of methodologies that companies uh, use nowadays. Uh, if it's not a traditional waterfall model, uh, uh, sort of adding these frameworks to the existing software development lifecycle at companies is a little bit harder, I find. Uh, I've seen a lot of uh, the, the, the frameworks that we use at Siemens, and since uh, more and more there's there's going to be a change when it comes to development of software, uh, developing these tools that can fit into the, the, the SDLC model of a company is a little bit harder, and uh, we, we're trying to research on these things, and we're trying to come up with ways that these can be implemented so that uh, organizations that are doing core uh, software development and have regulatory requirements can sort of use these kind of frameworks that we custom build or uh, implement existing frameworks that are out there so that companies uh, can can sort of influence the decision of how uh, we could better our product in such a way. So um, I, I have a mixed uh, a feeling about how this is going to uh, pan out in the future and honestly i'm optimistic because uh, i don't want to find a product out there when i test it that has these typical vulnerabilities that you find and most of these vulnerabilities can be sort of detected through some kind of uh, audits that happen eventually through the software development life cycle of things so um yeah, I'm. I'm just talking from the perspective of a hacker that, if uh, eventually there's there's a model that exists that can weed out all the vulnerabilities, I might find really cool vulnerabilities than the traditional XSS vulnerabilities in say a web application or something like that. And I'll follow up here too as well, just to say that as long as you're doing something, really, I've heard this concept of shift left for many many years. Do companies actually do it? To me, the framework is less important as long as you have security brought into it early in the process so that they can look at um, the security controls in place. I mean, I've seen the Zockman approach used effectively in companies, uh, which is a late 1970s process that's more logical and physical. Um, I've also heard organizations move away from audit to compliance. They want to be less harsh on the, the terminology, uh, but it does cost a lot less to fix the issue early in the process as opposed to once it's into production and the embarrassment and the vulnerability that you're completely right. I mean, 
both you guys are, are, are spot on to say that it really doesn't matter. Um, but the, the sooner you catch it, the less, the less costly it is, the more effective, the better processes you have in place. Um, bad guys can break into systems 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't really matter as long as we get in front of it and do the best that we can. Uh, but also the proof piece since socks came in place, I've heard the term prove it all the time. To me, it's, I'm surprised at how many companies don't really prove that they have a security-centric SDLC. Well, we, we meet occasionally. We do this. We do that. I think it's got to be defined. It's got to be written down. I'm sure we've both gone through some audits where if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. Uh, but just looking at foundational basics, I think, is important. So that's where I think it came with the, with the, the framework because you got to start somewhere. And if you don't have something, at least start somewhere. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll just kind of add there too. I mean, it, you know, I, I think again, this is, you know, my, my day job, right. Is, is trying to get as, as, as close to the code as possible. Um, because, you know, as you stated, Ron, I mean, if we're finding things, you know, early in the life cycle, it, it's cheaper than, you know, finding it in, in production, uh, that, that usually sells pretty well, but, you know, obviously there's other, um, byproducts that, right. You know, you, the, the amount of exposure that you have, you know, the risk to the organization, um, aside from the, you know, the financial, you know, aspects of, of being able to find it earlier. So, um, so we definitely, you know, my, again, my, my day job is to try to find, you know, those as, as soon as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, make sure that we're not, uh, pushing, pushing things into production. But I think the biggest thing I, I've, you know, been a, a true believer on this is that you're never going to, we are never going to be 100% vulnerability free when code goes in the, in the production. It's going to happen. Like, I, I mean, I, I could, my, myself and my team could be doing 100% of our job, you know, 100% of the time. And, uh, you know, we're still going to have uh, cases where, you know, vulnerabilities are going to slip into production. And I think, you know, I, I've been trying to push this concept of, you know, how do we, um, how do we respond, right? That that's where it really, you know, comes down to is it's not about, I mean, blocking and, and, and defensive and trying to make sure that we're not getting stuff into production. Obviously that's where we want to, you know, put our, our time and effort. Um, but we can't, you know, do that at, at the sacrifice of, of being able to respond and detect and, and remediate, uh, once some, something's found. So, yep. Uh, I, I guess I can just add my last comments about this. So, I mean, we've, we've seen attacks that have progressed, uh, recently, of course, uh, like new vulnerabilities, new parent class of bugs, like type confusion kind of vulnerabilities that affect the, the, the software development lifecycle of things. And uh, it's just trying to educate the developer is one thing. And then uh, trying to figure out what your end goal is when it comes to protection of the product is one thing that you need to define before you start these kind of processes. Honestly, if, if the developer is educated enough and understands why security is important, I believe they take proactive measures to try to see uh, and try to understand how their software can be broken in certain ways and then try developing like a mechanism or a strategy behind just building a high enough wall to protect their software altogether. I, I believe, I mean, if the wall is high enough, you might uh, get rid of the average hacker that's looking to break your product. Uh, of course, the wall cannot be infinitely high and can't stop every hack from happening, but uh, you'll stop uh, enough attacks uh, to a point where hackers would actually have to invest a significant amount of money to be able to breach that product. And yeah, I'm not saying that uh, uh, stuff out there can be hacked very easily and it, it, it 
uh, it's uh, it's not being done properly in certain organizations. But uh, if the organization is committed enough to say, look, we need to stop people from hacking our product, that's the very first step that they take towards this journey of securing their software or product altogether. So thanks, everyone, for the input there on one great question. So we'll next move on to Derek's question. So, Derek, the floor is yours. Yeah, so, you know, my question is really, you know, how do we get out of penetration testing for purposes of compliance uh, and shift to a mentality of, you know, continuous type of penetration testing? And, you know, like I mentioned, uh, there's, um, you know, there's annual requirements for penetration testing that most companies, you know, have to have to perform. And to be honest, I mean, a lot of that's check the box, right? It's, it's, our clients are asking for this, our regulators, our auditors are asking for this. So therefore we're going to, we're going to do it. It's just cost of doing business. And I think, you know, as we, you know, talked about building in uh, security into the development life cycle, I think penetration testing plays a part in that. So I'm curious to see how, you know, Ron and Abhishek, what, what your thoughts are about that. So here at Siemens, I mean, uh, mostly developers are scared when uh, someone says, okay, there's a bug in our software. And uh, we, we have changed that mentality over the years to a point where people look at the number of CVEs that Siemens publishes almost every month. And they say, yes, this is a good improvement when it comes to uh, showcasing that we actually care about security and we care about uh, protecting our customers when it comes to our products that are out there in the field. So. Uh, Initially, of course, there was a huge mentality across the whole uh, environment that, yeah, we we need to we need to figure out if there's there's a standard or a regulatory compliance uh, requirement when it comes to our products and our customers ask us about these things. So we need to have uh, something done to show, okay, this is what we do and this is what we test for and this is what we look for in our products and services. Uh, but now the mentality has changed because people read the news every day. People are looking at uh, what's going on when it comes to attacks that happen against organizations. And they're a bit more cautious when they say, okay, I'm developing software that sits in X or Y or Z. Uh, most of the time, uh, developers are, are taught to own their product in such a way that it's like, uh, they should care about their product. They should understand, okay, this is going in a critical environment that it could impact a certain person and stuff like that. So it's slowly the mentality is changing that way. And I, I see, I mean, a lot of developers, uh, if, if, if they are taking courses recently, at least in universities, they're taught about these things and they said, okay, this is what you should look for in a product if you're developing a product or this is how you secure your product. So it's becoming a little bit more... Uh, I, I I forget the word, but it's becoming a little bit more accepted a norm that security is a good thing and we should be looking at security as also one of the balances when it comes to the product itself. Yeah, so um, love, love the comment, love the question. Um, when I first got in security, um, all security programs are compliance driven. If that is your current mantra, you are behind the times. Today's cybersecurity programs are all risk-based if you're just going to be compliance driven, I remember the, one of the first, it was a SOX assessment I went to, went through. Um, we had an auditor from one of the big four come in and say, you've got to change your passwords every two weeks. And I thought, whoa, oh, why? It's, it's okay to challenge an auditor. I mean, nobody had done it before, at least in the room I was in. And uh, I got a few looks uh, for challenging a big four. And I won't say the big four firm, uh, but they basically went to a page and said, here's the reason chapter four verse one and i went 
that doesn't make any sense. We are going to degrade our security policy, our security control. Someone's going to write it down. Um, and the response from the auditor was it's in the book. And so that makes no sense. Um, I'm very much a proponent of today's cybersecurity program has to be risk risk driven. Um, you have to have a program defined. What does risk look like within an organization? Highly recommend if you own a product or a business unit, sit down with the business stakeholders and determine how do I cause harm. Um, don't do it in a, in a in a silo because I've I've learned over time I am not the smartest guy in the room. My wife tells me that every day. Uh, there are smarter people out there. Bring them in. Sometimes engineers have great ideas. Bring them into the conversation. Buy some coffee. Start the conversation. I used to do it annually at least. Um, I think I've seen companies do it quarterly based on risk and which industry they're, um, they're regulated by. But it's not perfect. Um, I used to work for the state of Minnesota, and we had a, a, a in-home care uh, program. And we used to sit down annually and we would say, okay, how do I cut my, how do I commit fraud? How do I commit, uh, cut a check uh, to, you know, circumvent the system? And, you know, we had a long list of here's risks that we need to mitigate. Unfortunately, there was a uh, perpetrator, a criminal in the room with me. I had no idea for multiple years and she was taking very good notes. And she knew the thresholds that we were running reports, and she knew the controls in place, and she was bypassing them. So you gotta you gotta check the checkers as well. The only reason we caught it, like most breaches, it's not usually the organization that catches the breach. Ninety percent is someone from the outside, and this happened to be a bank. Uh, so we were in St. Paul, Minnesota, and this bank was in Hudson, Wisconsin, and this person was bringing checks from the state of Minnesota, eighty, ninety thousand dollars. Anything over 5000 gets reported to the FBI. This bank teller had been on the take and was part was a perpetrator in the crime, so she was not reporting it. Now, there should have been other processes in the bank. They are today for fraud and whatnot, um, but this was probably 10, 12 years ago. Um, and only because the teller was sick that day did we uh, have a teller that followed the process, reported to the FBI, and then we found out a number of weeks later but it's not perfect. Like anything that you do, you've got to have controls in place to watch the watchers, trust but verify. Make sure that you're sitting down, determining how somebody causes harm. Don't wait until your product is in the field to say, hey, we should have probably tested that thing. Shift left. Think about, you know, pen, pen testing is, is one part of the puzzle. I, to me, I think of defense in depth. Um, it's at the right side of that uh, equilibrium to say that I'm going to test on an ongoing basis. There are tools in place, I think, that help. Um, ASM is, is really taking off uh, for ongoing pen testing. Now, I'd say do your due diligence to make sure you test the product. Does it fit within your culture? There are no tools or technology or programs that you can take out of a book and just drop into every organization. I've, they're all different. Cultures are different. Uh, you've got to know what the culture is, what are the controls in place, uh, you know, sometimes people don't want things highlighted and you have to be creative in the way that you report things up to the board. Sometimes CISOs, I mean, most CISOs report up to a CIO and in cases where there's collusion or fraud, you've got to bypass and go around, uh, your due diligence and due care responsibilities to the board and shareholders still are in fact, but you've got to figure out ways around to report, uh, nefarious activity. Uh, but uh, to me, if it's compliance driven, if you're just doing the basics, it's a race to the bottom. 
I, I always hear this with organizations. I just want to do what my peers are doing. To me, that is a race to the bottom. And if that's your security program, you're going to get circumvented. And it's a matter of time for any program, but you're going to get breached quicker than anybody else. And my first days of CISO was dealing with the 11th largest data breach at the time. Um, you will spend cash and you will use third parties far quicker than you ever managed, imagined. Uh, my second day on the job, I went in front of the board, asked for $98 million, and I think they fell out of their chairs laughing at me. <laughs> but that's what the cost, when we initially took pen to paper, that's what it was going to cost. Experience not cheap to do $20 credit checks and all the stuff that's necessary. So I would say do your due diligence, build a risk-based security program with penetration testing as part of it. Um, it's a good way to determine the effectiveness. Uh, go out and find a third party that will test you to make sure that your tools, you spend millions of dollars on SOC and SIM, um, does it work? You should be able to pen test and have response in play and appropriate, have playbooks, have all that stuff, but test, make sure that you're building in the front end and then testing on the back end. I, I think, um, you know, to get out of that compliance mentality, there's, um, you know, you have to build environments, right? Um, you have to have those environments. And, and I guess, you know, what I'm thinking is that, you know, we get to an eventual point where, you know, penetration testing is part of the, the release to production, you know, where, um, where, you know, you build it into same way we do analysis, you know, uh, analysis tools, analysis testing, um, you know, static analysis, dynamic analysis, you know, uh, all those, all those things. So, um, you know, being able to have the, you know, an environment that is mirror, you know, a mirror of prod, right. Because you still need the test as you, as you stated, uh, Ron, you know, the, the sock and the SIM and, and your alerting and your logging, your response, um, all those need to be, you know, uh, validated as well. Um, but, you know, getting to that point where penetration testing is no longer a, a part of, that mentality of compliance, but instead a, a, a part of the SDLC, um, I think that's, you know, that's a shift. Um, and, and there wasn't really an additional questionnaire. I think that was just a follow-up on my part, you know, that it's, I think there's, there's a change in mentality in the sense that, you know, a lot of, again, this is where I'm, you know, where I sit, but, um, you know, integrating SAST and DAST and, and, you know, threat modeling and risk assessments and, and design reviews and all that stuff, um, developments accustomed to that, but, you know, saying like, okay, now we're going to, now we're going to, you know, take one of your environments, we're going to pen test, you know, on a continuous basis. Like we're just going to have, you know, threat hunting, uh, red teaming, you know, that are just going to go after your, your environment, you know, at, at any time. Um, that I think takes, you know, a little bit of a shift and, and those concepts haven't, they're not new. Right. But I think that as a, uh, you know, in, in our industry, I think, you know, there's still maybe some, buy-in that has to occur from from the engineering side i think the caveat on that i think on the leadership side you know i see c cells position with still predominantly under the cio the shift of the security group if it's product it doesn't really matter to me it's got to be uplifted to appear at the c-suite they got to have the ability to say no if you're positioned under uh, CFO, it's going to be cost. If it's going to be the CIO, it could be convenience. You've got to position the program and at, at a position within the organization to have the same uh, breadth and, and ability to say no uh, and get buy-in at that level. Because organizations and cybersecurity should be a, not only value add but part of doing business. If you don't think that way, I think that's where companies are going. 
Um, and you can't just wait till after the fact. I think it's got to be part of the DNA of the organization down to the engineer level. We've actually, I mean, some of our processes actually have accounted for that at Siemens here. And uh, honestly, uh, when, when you talk about the, the, the risk aggregation and the, the risk awareness when it comes to products, we actually have uh, facilitated this kind of community where developers that are developing products uh, have the ability to just reach out to hackers or security-minded uh, individuals and then talk about, okay, this is my product and this is how it works. And then uh, as part of the whole risk process, uh, they are encouraged to discuss uh, what could potentially go wrong with their product. And it's like an open uh, discussion that happens where uh, uh, as a security expert, you come up with certain uh, issues that could happen with the product. And we ask the developer, okay, have you looked at this? Have you looked at that? So there's there's always that, that kind of peer uh Based mentality kind of environment where uh, we we exchange notes and we say okay these are what hackers are doing so it's more uh, awareness first when it comes to educating the developer okay these are the things they should look for and when it comes to uh, actually protecting their products uh, they they understand the risks and they say okay this is this is what I feel uh, could happen can you uh, like do an independent uh, penetration test or something against this product and show me that this is possible. So all the discussions that we have, uh, it's yes, it's it's uh, it's coming up with okay potential ways of attacking a certain product. But when you go to show them, this is what is going to happen, and this is how I did it, they are more uh, in the state of believing, and they say, okay, yeah, now I believe what you're saying, and uh, this is important. So we should keep this as a running process whenever we develop product. So if you educate one person, they through uh, word of mouth or through the, uh, the the communities that they are part of will say, hey, look, we did this and this helped us build a better product. Maybe you should do the same. So it's more about awareness and educating the developers that are building these kind of products that help a lot when it comes to um, yeah, incorporating these kind of activities during the software development lifecycle. Thanks, everyone. Our final question on today's episode comes from Abhishek. So Abhishek, if you'd like to tell the listeners and the panelists, please, your question. Sure. So... Uh, my question was, uh, what is the role of automation during testing? And I usually ask this because whenever we are testing a product, so as a tester, we go in, we test an application, we find the same kind of vulnerabilities oftentimes. So uh, many a times we just say, you know what, uh, since this is a web application, we believe these are the kind of vulnerabilities that one would find in the product itself. So let's just develop certain test cases that we could run initially against the product and try to understand if there's a possibility of finding these vulnerabilities as fast as we can and then incorporating it as part of the product development process uh, altogether. So like a shift-based approach altogether. So uh, what is the role of this automation that you find when you're testing products and uh, can it provide enough coverage when it comes to testing? Yeah, I think it's, it's to be determined yet. I think we're still kind of figuring out how to proceed with automation and machine learning. I think it's it's something that is uh, evolving over time. And I, and I see it, the best return on investment is taking menial manual tasks that have are prone to human error and automating them uh, to get a defined output. And we see some some customers really using them, uh, especially in the SOC and, and in the SDLC process where they automate processes. Um, say you've got a web server and you want to test X, Y, and Z, you can automate a lot of that. So that in the secure uh, certification and accreditation process, 
uh, when you're shifting left that you can manually or you could automate a lot of that and remove the manual component to it so that people can be more strategic, think outside the box. Um, I, I remember when I was a programmer, one of the reasons I got out of it is it, it felt like the same thing over and over. I think as a security professional, we want you to think outside the box, use your creativeness, um, be forward thinking. If you're just doing the same thing over and over, I think you're prone to error over time. Uh, so I think I really see it beneficial to taking away those menial tasks on a day-to-day -day basis and letting individuals um, be more strategic. And I, I've seen this in companies where there was a lot of hesitance to utilize automation uh, within an organization because individuals thought that their jobs were at risk or their positions within the organization were at risk. And I think it's where leadership has to step in and say, look, we're going to use this this new technology, but your position's not going to go away. We're going to repurpose you. You have the opportunity to go. Um, I mean, I can't imagine you want anybody to go to, to be a sock analyst, but uh, <laughs> do something different. Uh, I know part of uh, NetSpy's mantra is you come in as a pen tester, you can move around. You can be a web application pen tester. You can be a device. You can be an IoT. You can progress your career and not be stagnant. Because I do think when I when I work for engineering companies and I hear about innovation and patents and a lot of times it's an accident. Somebody comes with a different perspective and and they they kick the uh, a bucket over that created a chemical reaction within something. We don't have enough of that. I think we have too many people chasing these leadership positions and not within an organization thinking, well, how do I make this better? How do these processes become more um, automated or how do I uh, become more strategic as opposed to reactionary because I'd say 60 to 70 percent of security programs are very reactionary. Um, things don't happen until the CEO's phone gets hacked or his email gets hacked and um, it still happens where there it takes the CEO or the security ELT person or leader to be hacked for things to change and, and prog progress to be made or um, you made a device that goes into production it's in someone's house and now you've got neighbors listening in to your kids or a microphone or turning things on and off. And I've seen this. I've seen organizations that had a disgruntled ex-employee, you know, hack into a device that's in the market, um, freak the heck out of a neighbor or to think their home was haunted, um, turning things on, um, turning things off, making noises through microphones scaring the heck out of kids. Uh, and when it does come out in the public, all of which was a really minor change that should have been found in the SDLC process. So to me, I think taking out those menial, those repetitive tasks, making them automated, use machine learning as much as possible. I do think a lot of products overemphasize machine learning when it's still pretty rudimentary, uh, but let individuals be more strategic as opposed to responsive. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'll I'll add that you know, we know that from our you know from our uh, field, right? That um, finding talented security people to to cover the the amount of work that is out there is difficult, and so you know, to me, automation um, is not uh, something that is going to uh, replace anybody. It, it's more the fact that it's it's going to make those people that are really carrying a large load um, gonna reduce that load um, we're all very familiar in this field how burnout you know quickly piles up uh, there's there's 
you know, we get alert fatigue because everything's, when everything's a crit, when everything's critical, nothing's critical. You know? So, um, so I think, you know, things like automation, AI, ML, I think that's going to be, you know, a way for us to augment the way that we do work. Um, and when it comes to penetration testing, you know, I, same thing with, with, you know, a, a, a secure SDLC is that we don't, in most organizations, you're not going to apply one tool. Ron, I think you said it, you know, the defense in depth, right? We're not going to apply one tool and walk away and say, hey, we did it, right? You know, it's, it's do we have the right tools in place to do the right thing? Um, and for penetration testing, as much, we, we're not going to get the full coverage, I think, you know, Abhishek, that you're, that you're, you know, talking about. And, and you know, I, I know you know this, but, um, you know, we're not going to get, we're not going to be able to replace a penetration tester with automation, right? Um, but if there's, if we're able to leverage automation to reduce the the workload on that on that penetration testing team, and if we're able to do it in a way that is continuous and and on demand and and you know something that you know gets us the uh, a best effort uh, in terms of finding what some of that low hanging fruit might be um, before you call in the specialist, right? So I think there's there's a place for it. Um, it's not, you know, going to be a replacement, uh, but I think it's going to be yet another, uh, way that we can leverage, you know, the tools and the abilities and technology that we, that, uh, we have at our disposal, uh, to make us more effective, more efficient, and really try to close that, that, uh, gap in terms of, uh, you know, the lack of, of, uh, uh, people in, in this field. Um, so. Abhishek, I, I, I want to go back to your comments you made about people owning the product, I love that comment where there is such a buy-in and such an attention to detail when someone feels like they own it and they're going to put in the extra time. They're going to make sure things are done appropriately. It's a model I think like the Patagonians of the world are very good at is saying, all right, you're going to make this coat. I want you to make the best coat possible. Here's all the resources you need. Just take what you need, take the time, build it appropriately. Um, it's going to save someone's life when they're climbing. Make sure it actually does what we say it does. So I love that Siemens is is making people passionate about their work, buying into ownership, and doing the extra to make sure that it's actually secure. So I think that's a message that we could take to other organizations. Yep, certainly. And I mean, uh, with with this question that I asked, uh, there was there was a dual motive because. Uh, Recently, I went to this conference in Miami on ICS security, and uh, they have this pawn-to-own competition where one of the teams actually leveraged uh, ChatGPT to develop an exploit against a certain industrial protocol that's there. So you can see the the, the actual acceptance when it comes to AI that uh, people are recognizing AI for its capabilities and uh, as as a knowledge resource, and you could leverage that knowledge in your activities to ease some of these processes. So the more the teams actually embrace this, I think the better it's going to be for all of us because in the end, we want a better product. We want something that does not kill somebody out there. And the more we stress on the fact that you need to protect your product and the more that we can find these vulnerabilities before somebody on the outside takes advantage of these things, uh, I think it's going to improve our life going forward uh, for ages and decades. So thank you, Abhishek, for that question. And thank you, everyone, for your input on that. So before we end the podcast today, I'd like to say a big thanks uh, to all our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. Once again, our guests on today's panel have been Ron, who's the Managing Director at NetSpy. 
Derek, who's the head of uh, product security at uh, MVestNet, and Abhishek, who's the penetration team lead at Siemens. And finally, if you're hiring for a new technical role or looking for a new role yourself, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to feature in a future podcast, please feel free to drop me a message. I'm James Price, and you can find me on LinkedIn or my email at james.price at evolutionjobs.us or visit us at evolutionjobs.com. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. Hope you can join us next time.